All right, welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today we have Scott Guy. Am I pronouncing this right, Guy? I do this to myself every show. Guy, is that correct? Guy. It's Guy. Guy, I'm an idiot. Well, there we go. First faux pas of the show. Anyways, uh, we have Scott Guy on the show, IT Audit Manager at Holtzman Partners. And uh, to be honest with you, I just came from the uh, the doctor's and my brain, again, is really failing me today. I popped my knee uh, pretty badly in jujitsu. So that's the kind of like the first horror story. Wasn't too bad. Didn't end up being like a torn ACL or MCL or any of those things. But I kind of wanted to start this show off with, um, with horror stories. And as many horror stories as you can come up with. Now, but before we do that, I kind of want to just let's just introduce what you do as a living and kind of what you do every day, all day. Um, and, and let's just start there. So in the world of public accounting and IT audit, um, there's really two parts that um, make up the majority of what I'm involved with. Um, one of and it's all primarily around auditing IT systems, um, controls, and access and, and things like that. So that's normally driven by two main factors. One being um, uh, controls over financial reporting. So let's say if you're a public company or perhaps in some cases, uh, private equity um, backed companies or companies that have um, backing from commercial lenders are mm -hmm. sometimes required to go through kind of like a financial statement audit. Mm -hmm. And part of that is looking at the internal controls over the systems that underlie that financial reporting. So let's say as an example, um, if you outsource um, your payroll process, payroll is pretty much always a financially significant um, account in, in most companies. So if you use an outsourced payroll provider, if you're getting a financial statement audit from that, um, then you're going to need to... Um, demonstrate that there's adequate controls over the systems that underlie that. In the example of payroll providers, um, you know, they're processing important account transactions or creating files used for that. W-2s, um, things like this, what people get paid, massive amounts paid of data, paid. massive amounts of data yeah. on individual employees and uh, kind of, you know, some stuff that might be a little bit sensitive. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, tax rates and different, different companies. So, you know, is, if you're not managing that internally, um, then those organizations need, able, need to be able to provide what's called a SOC 1, a system um, organization control report, um, covering their internal controls over that process that you as their customer are kind of relying on so that your financial auditors can get um, comfortable um, with the controls around that for them to rely on. Now, for, for people out there that are, that are familiar with, you know, SOC 1, SOC 2, Sarbanes, Oxley, Oxley uh, various different reports that they need to get or audits on making sure that they're checking all the boxes. Um, let's see, you know, there's some other fields that have other types of, I don't know what, what we would call this, um, uh, audits, maybe a HIPAA guideline, audit, audit maybe a, uh, uh, what's wrong with me, uh, credit cards again, again, great. PCI, thank you, brain failing for the third time today, uh, PCI compliance. From, for people that don't need to get these reports, that aren't forced by law or severe problems could arise if they don't do this reporting, what can you offer out there, just real quick, uh, as a benefit um, for people that don't have to get this stuff done? Like, What kind of things are you finding that are like, 
again, let's maybe just jump into like a horror story or like what's the like kind of what's some of the worst things that could happen to people that um, don't aren't you know don't have to follow these compliances and, and should they? I mean, you know, in the in the course of different assessments that I've done, we've come across you know a variety of you know pretty bad things, whether it be um, you know basic things on on more of an HR side where an organization wasn't adequately you know, handling their termination of employees and their benefits and insurance and, you know, payroll systems and, and ended up paying, you know, millions of dollars to, to people that didn't even work for them and having to go back and, and restate financials as a public company. Um, you know, that's a pretty serious, um, you know, thing to happen um, that, that can really infect, you know, investor outlook on the company and, you know, really reflects poorly. Um, I've seen assessments where, you know, large you know, service providers that you would expect to be, you know, fairly proficient at these things have, you know, failed to, worst case scenario, I saw um, an organization put up a JBoss server with default credentials exposed to the internet um, that was definitely accessed by someone not authorized by the company. Yeah. Um, and, and when um, you say I, service provider, are you it talking was a like, software as a service provider? So gotcha, I gotcha. can't get into exactly what, what they were doing because no, 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 it's all good. I'm just wondering what kind of service provider I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot of kind of bootstraps or startups or people that grow really fast that miss on a ton of stuff. And this was, this was a very large scale, uh, large service provider with very large customers and, mm. um, you know, it was well established, but you know, they had someone, um, access their, their JBoss server, um, that they had thrown up and, um, Ultimately, we, we found that in the course of the audit, they were unaware of it. And um, I don't have full details into what ultimately happened, but I, I'm pretty sure they um, didn't actually investigate that, which is alarming. Um, now, how, how do you think something like that happens? Is it just, that's, we're that's just on cool. everyday business? We're just running, you know, business as usual, like keep running, you know? Um, you know, run into whatever the next number is and, and not too concerned about security because nothing's happened yet? Or is there just a general oversight? Or, you know, what are we doing here? Maybe we can sell, maybe we can sell security a little bit for all those people that are having a hard time getting, the, uh, I don't know, the budget approved. In, in that specific organization, they didn't have someone, you know, to have ownership over security. Um, this was seven or eight years ago. So it was a little earlier in the game than where we're at now, but they did not have a security officer. They didn't have a security department. They didn't have anybody really monitoring, you know, security alarms. It's a security minded individual. Hmm. So there were lots of, of things that were, that were going wrong there. And then ultimately when it came to, you know, conducting a forensic examination, there's obviously lots of politics behind not wanting to do that, you know, not having cyber liability insurance to cover those sorts of things maybe, or, um, you know, not having qualified people internally to, to perform that investigation on their own. Um, all kind of ultimately played into that. Uh, failure there. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of prior to the biggest uh, big financial uh, hacks and history and stuff. It kind of was just um, how, it, back in the day more where was some of the stuff, the oversight might have been a little bit easier. How, how do you feel the, the environment is nowadays? It's, it's still pretty much a, a very mixed bag. Um, even on the service provider side, um, I would say some of the more established software as a service providers that are really relying on old code um, and, you know, having to maintain kind of a legacy architecture more challenged, whereas some of the more nimble startups are really able to leverage, you know, some of the new stuff we're seeing with, 
you know, continuous integration, continuous deployment, um, containerization, and things that um, I think allow them to um, be a little more um, sophisticated in their approach to security and monitoring their environments. Gotcha. Uh, so, horror stories, worst ones you can think of. Other the than worst ones that I can think of, the things that, that kind of are scary, I think the first one um, a lot of people are familiar with is uh, like the Stuxnet virus um, in which, um, you know, it's assumed the uh, U.S. intelligence and Israeli intelligence agencies sabotaged uh, one of Iranians, the Iranian nuclear facility. Um, and that was really one of the first real hacks where, you know, a hack had impact on the physical world. And we've seen, you know, um, some subsequent things like that. Um, in uh, 2014, I believe, there was a, um, a German steel mill that was attacked. And while some of the details haven't been specifically disclosed, um, due to the improper kind of shutdown of things, um, a blast furnace was severely damaged. Um, you know, so we saw, you know, real physical damage to a, a plant um, due to a cyber attack. And that was like um, iron, what was that, like molten iron or something like that spilling over? They, they aren't real specific on, you know, what the actual damage was. Obviously, you know, there's a mm. lot of concern with, you know, that the details of those sorts of attacks. But um, it, it was significant, you know, physical damage, and it was, you know, related to a blast furnace. So you would kind of assume that's that's kind of part. Of it. But it led it led me to believe, it led me to start going down the road of like thinking of the type of things that could happen where you've got assembly lines and maybe things that are kind of automated pouring poisons or you know molten iron or something like that, and someone just hacks in and changes. You know, we're not going to pour for one minute; we're going to pour for uh, thirty minutes. And just overpour things or something crazy like that. Am I, am I too out there? Am I too? Am I thinking too out there? Or is that possible? No, no, that's that's exactly right. I mean, because when you think about all of the systems out there that um, have industrial control systems, SCADA networks, you know, controlling things like valves, pressure, and um, you know, and specifically the uh, the Stuxnet instance, you know, um, that that even created false information um, to report back to the monitoring um, utilities. You know, so so that they couldn't actually see the negative effects as they were happening is, you know, so it's not just affecting those things. It's, you know, they can hide um, the fact that it's even happening through, you know, reporting back through the monitoring utilities. Um, and we've seen, you know, another instance of this um, in Ukraine um, in late 2015, I believe, where um, the power grid, you know, utility provider was, was taken over and they started shutting down circuit breakers in the power grid. Mm. Uh, and, you know, a lot of this has been reserved more to like um, state actor, um, you know, intelligence agency type, you know, organizations that are highly sophisticated and have the time and budgets to plan and design these sorts of attacks. Mm -hmm. But, you know, criminal elements are, you know, making tons of money off ransomware and, and those sorts of things. So um, the financial incentive is there for them to, you know, continue to develop more sophisticated attacks. And this is certainly an area that, you know, uh, kind of draws a lot of concern, I think, and keeps people up at night that have to deal with these sorts of issues. Now, one of the things that I get a lot of, I don't know if I want to call it complaints, if I asked someone what their biggest struggle, concern, battle is kind of internally or in their IT role or technology role, it's a lack of resources and, you know, 
not investing enough in some of the things that maybe larger companies have the ability or are forced to invest in uh, that you then go in and do full audits on. Is there, why, why do you, why do you think that is? Is it just a general uh, old school mentality of it's not going to happen to me? That certainly does exist. Um, there, there are organizations that, you know, don't, a lot of times it's either, a lot of times executives, I feel like, you know, maybe don't adequately understand the risk. Um, and maybe it's because, you know, they don't have the people around them to, to really explain that to them. You know, I, I've, let's I've, explain I've, it. Let's just explain it right now. Let's skip right ahead and let's give, um, IT people out there, the best bullet points and the best uh, firepower we can give them to explain, aka sell to upper management, um, uh, the sell to upper management the the reasons as to why we should be investing more in security. I think the the most um, the easiest route there really comes to if you have any sort of regulated data you know, right, credit card numbers, protected health information, uh, that sort of thing where you've got, you know, a legal obligation to, to do certain things. Um, you know, so first of all, we're not following the law or yeah. we're not, you know, we could get fined for this. Yeah, especially argument number one. And let's say specifically in HIPAA, you know, um, there's, you know, while I, there's, it's not really, you know, heavily enforced. There is, you know, some negligent terms in there, whereas the executive, if they're, you know, willfully ignoring some of the risks, then they have personal liability for it. Um, that doesn't exist in all sorts of situations, but, um, you know, we're seeing a trend in that, that direction if you look into some of the court cases where, um, you know, at the executive level, ignoring, you know, certain warnings and risks and, and alerts. Um, I love it. This is like the ultimate fear. This is like real, uh, you know, salespeople always get a bad rap for, uh, what is it called? Fear something. And I can't remember it, but whatever those, whatever those psychological terms are you use to like, uh, to, um, you know, convince people, but there's some good fear factors. Okay. Negligence, personal liability. I mean, Hey, this company might not get sued. You might get sued. And, you know, a big example of this... Um, fear, uncertainty, desire. Really, Sorry, FUD. Fear, uncertainty, desire. Okay. Not that, that's not what we're doing here. That's not what we're doing. We're giving actual... We're, we're, <laughs> we're using real facts and fingers, figures, but, but keep on. And, go on. And, and one big example of this, you know, people think... People don't really think about the FEC or the, the, um, the uh, uh, FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, yeah. um, as being, you know, a big... Um, player in this, but they're really kind of like an 800-pound gorilla. Um, okay. The example of this is WebMD, and I can't remember the specifics of of how this breach happened because it was you know years and years ago. But um, they they were basically heavily pursued by the FTC by regulatory actions, and the company has been long you know non-existent. This this destroyed the company um, or his lab. I'm sorry, um, and um, you know, even after the company was dead, the FTC was still, you know, pursuing regulatory actions. So um, there is there is instances where, you know, failing to do this can destroy the business. Um, now, if you don't have those sort of, you know, regulatory legal obligations to do certain things, then it's much more of looking at, say, um, you know, what we're seeing in trends in like insurance claims and what we're seeing in far as business loss and business interruption due to lack ransomware. Mm. Um, 
And a big one that we're seeing right now on the ransomware side, tying back to, you know, organizations not really having the resources, um, a big place this hits is in municipal governments, you know, school districts, city governments. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, a, a lot of getting the budgets and things isn't necessarily that, you know, the people in charge understand it or anything like that, but just the political process of getting funding. It's crazy. A lot of times it's a shared kind of almost like a shared budget that kind of they all kind of vote and divide things up and uh, it might not be the best way to make uh, decisions on security. Yeah. And, and that, that presents a unique challenge. You know, I've, I've audited a number of school districts, um, you know, city and county governments, and that is, is, is a huge challenge um, on their side. They're very strapped for budgets and they have very complicated networks um, with, you know, specific school districts you've got all kinds of you know smart uh, mm. whiteboards and all kinds of you know odd technology that's not generally part of, of most people's mm. and without making this political someone should probably go lobby the government for some grant money or something like that for this yeah uh, that, uh, I mean there is some of that out there um, but uh, huh. probably not enough yeah okay so business uh, uh, we've got um, uh, regulated data uh, negligence, personal personal liability, uh, FTC, uh, general business interruption uh, through to ransomware. What, as far as ransomware goes, do we have any numbers on that? Do you have any statistics on that? Um, I mean, uh, not. Oh, here's a good here's a good question. How many people that have experienced a ransomware attack are completely put out of business? Any clue? Um, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I mean, most people um, are generally able to recover. Um, I mean, because mm. really ransomware comes down to having, you know, adequate backups. And, and most organizations, you know, they might lose revenue, they might have downtime, but most organizations have, have at least decent enough backups that they can recover um, and not be destroyed um, as a business. Um, but there are certainly some that, that you know, don't and, and go completely under it. It does happen. Since the last time we talked, my sister's hospital had a ransomware attack, shut down Epic for three days. That must have been fun for that IT manager. Yeah, healthcare is another place where we see um, a lot of problems with ransomware. A lot of it comes down to, um, especially in the you know, healthcare providers versus health IT, um, a lack mm -hmm. of resources. Um, in my personal experience, you know, um, this is my personal opinion. Um, and a lot of the healthcare provider organizations that I've worked with, um, you know, I don't, where they've got a lot of, you know, doctors and things, you know, overseeing business operations. I, I, I've not entirely been impressed with some of their risk-based decision-making around IT. <laughs> um, and, uh, and healthcare uh, also has a unique challenge because kind of like healthcare, they've got a lot of weird types of technology, you know, um, that, that are, you know, uh, existing in a lot of other organizations and they've got, you know, say different sorts of certification processes involved in those systems that make it, you know, difficult to patch things in a timely manner. Um, and yeah. Very difficult. I think it, you, I'm la I laughed because you made me think of my family because everyone in my family is with the exception of a few of us are doctors, MDs, surgeons, uh, anesthesiologists, 
Um, they work in healthcare of some way. So when you said doctors overseeing business operations, not making the best decisions, it made me, made me think of my father. So, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, uh, it's really funny. It's, uh, I, I can see that and I can see the mentality and I can see the way decisions are made, especially in large practices or large private practices where you might have a group of doctors and it's almost impossible to get all of these smartest people in the room into one room. Yeah. So how do you get, you know, five people that are all the smartest people in the room to make a decision that would be, you know, cost money, right? And uh, so there's, there's some stereotypes about doctors I'm allowed to throw around uh, because I come from a family of them. Uh, so that's great. Let me ask you a real blunt and honest question. How exciting is your job or what do you do to make your job exciting? Um, you know, the, the day-to-day work of auditing is probably pretty dull. You're looking at access listings, you know, um, different types of reports and spreadsheets and screenshots. And yeah. uh, the thing that, that uh, I enjoy is, is interacting with a client, getting, you know, to, to, especially when you're dealing with a new client, you've got to, you know, get in and understand their organization, you know, their environment, their risks, yeah. um, where you can, you know, be more of a collaborative advisor um, and, and, you know, actually, you know, help them kind of sort through their problems as they deal with this. Um, that's the more interesting part of it to me. Um, and also kind of, you know, the opportunities to do things like this and, you know, present at, at certain events and, and, you know, get a yeah. little more involvement in the professional communities and, you know, organizations that um, are kind of pushed when you're in more of a consulting sort of role as maybe like a short punch list for IT directors out there. And when I say IT directors, I would say the majority of the people that listen to this show um, are in a IT leadership position of some sort with anywhere from maybe 200 to 2000 end users with a team of people and a ratio of IT director to end user or IT staff to end user of like one to a hundred. Right. So you're like that professor in a large uh, hall trying to get as much done as you can possibly get done. What would be maybe five bullet points? And it doesn't even need to be five. If it's three, fine, the top three, whatever it is. But what are like five things that they could do that they might not be doing that would be eye opening for them or eye opening for executive management? You know, I think we did really good with the, um, you know, regulated data, negligence, personal liability, FTC, you know, business. Uh, business interruption, what, what would that cost us if that ever happened? But what are five things that they could look at or measure or do to help improve their organization, especially considering they might not have any reason to go get SOC, be SOC compliant or anything like that? And the biggest thing, if you, and I always tell me, if you haven't done it yet, I mean, multi-factor authentication um, is just huge. Um, that's one of the biggest, easiest things you can do to make it more difficult to, I mean, Stolen passwords. I mean, if, if you're still... If Let me ask you, honestly, how many people don't do it? Um, how, how often do you see it? It's much less now. You know, particularly since I, I'm very focused much more on service providers, they tend to be a little more sophisticated. Yep. Um, so most of them, we, we at least see two-factor authentication for, say, like production environments. Isn't, but, that kind of like a, isn't that kind of like a general, like, shouldn't everybody be doing that? Even... Yeah. Like everybody, consumers, even like general. Consumers, like, I mean, it's it's you know, I, honestly, our your banking your, your banking provider should should be doing it. I mean, they do for certain types of customers, and some providers do it. But you know, it definitely needs to be 
uh, more thoroughly distributed. And okay, it so, still does have its risk. I mean, you still can do, you know, phishing of, of you know, two-factor authentication um, in certain cases. So um, it's not it's not a silver bullet, but um, it's one of the easiest, most impactful things that you can do if you haven't done it already. And just describe multi-factor authentication in simplicity for anyone that, I don't know, there might be a CEO listening. There might be a non-IT nerd out there listening. You never know. So, you know, authentication be, can be based on, you know, something you know, like a password, something you are, um, like, uh, you know, a fingerprint or an iris scan or something you have, which would be like a token. So, um, when we say two-factor authentication, it's usually you log in, your username, your password, um, and then there's a second um, authentication factor required. Typically, we see that through like a push notification to your phone where there's a code that you have to enter. And it could be, you know, a physical key that has to be plugged in. Cell phone, send you an email, something like that. Something along those lines. Text message, yep. Or just because, you know, your password has been stolen from some website and you'll reuse that somewhere else. Just because someone knows that password, that's not enough to log in. They need that other factor that they don't have access to. And that can, you know, rapidly kill, you know, a way that, you know, is gotcha. widely still used to get into an organization. Okay. Multi-factor authentication, number one. Next one. Um, you know, and I would say, you know, especially from the IT director sort of level, if you haven't actually done a thorough IT risk assessment and included the business um, units in that process, because I can't tell you how many times I've been in an organization where once we pull together, like say, customer contracts, I, I see things where you know IT is completely unaware of things that the organization is committed to doing in a contract as far as security. And they, they aren't doing it because no one ever told them that they needed to be doing it. So basically, uh, shadow IT decisions that were made that might not be totally shadow, handed down to IT, but without full transparency. Yeah, so understanding the commitments that have been made, where and what types of data you have are being stored, and actually um, articulating the risk that's associated with that when it comes back to communicating. You know, going to your executive and saying, hey, we might get hacked, you know, we should do something about that is, you know, not going to probably get you very far. (laughs) Um, But being able to say, hey, on this... um, system we have to, you know, share um, files with our, our customers, this vulnerability exists and there's a, you know, publicly known exploit out there that's being exploited in the wild. Um, and, you know, we have this many records on that system that was going to be exposed. I mean, here's kind of what fines have been laid out to organizations in a similar situation. Um, so here's an actual dollar risk that we can put on this. Um, that sort of information will will be more likely to drive, you know, actual action. Cool. Risk assessment. Yeah. And looking at it, you know, there's, when it comes down to like, say auditing, there's, there's two thoughts. There are two parts of this equation. You know, there's the substantive security. There's, there's a patch that needs to be applied. There's a configuration change that needs to be made. Mm -hmm. Um, But those, you know, you need to fix those to fix the problems. But there's also the side of, those things existed probably because there was a weakness in a process, right? We weren't adequately, you know, putting a minimum baseline security on that system when it was deployed, or we weren't adequately maintaining, you know, patches or things in that system once it was deployed. 
And, you know, just fixing the substantive security issue, if you don't fix the actual process failure that led to that. Um, yeah, it's like, um, it's like putting a Band-Aid uh, on a paper cut, but paper cuts keep showing up and you don't know why. And that's because, uh, I don't know, there's your little kid behind you, like, I don't know, throwing papers at you, I don't know, whatever. But the, I guess the point is there's no checks and balance. There's no official um, decision-making process around a, around security. And, you know, there, this is something where depending on the size and sophistication of the organization, and, you know, I've done this with very small organizations. So this is not to say you have to be huge. Um, you know, even if you don't need like a, a SOX audit or maybe even better, if you don't need a SOX audit or a SOC report, um, because those have, you know, pretty rigid definitions. Have these. a policy, something, you know. Or you, you could still, I mean, in doing an audit of your security controls is, is still something that's worthwhile so that you have an outside, you know, independent look at, you know, those those controls. And you, you can then take back and say, you know, hey, here's where we're getting, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. And, you know, me as, as an <laughs> IT director, I don't have the authority to change this. But, you know, hey, if we can, we can get the, you know, break down some of the wall, let's say, between mm-hmm. HR and IT and, you know, integrate our processes better. So, let's say, mm-hmm. for example, we're adequately actually terminating users, you know, when they leave or they change, you know, roles. Mm-hmm. That's still, you know, a major, you know, area that we see um, failures in is, you know, let's say IT not being adequately informed when those sorts of, you know, transitions happen and then they're not, you know, able to make changes to access levels um, in a timely manner. I wish there was a way to do all of this extra work that is really awesome and, and saves the business industry from catastrophic failures or problems or lawsuits. And the IT guy still gets some sort of high five or recognition or raise or monetary uh, measurement of value or MBO attached to, you know, this, because I can see someone doing a lot of extra work, really taking pride in making their organization secure and getting little to no recognition for it. Yeah. It's, and it just comes down to, you know, like they say, if IT is doing things right, it looks like they're doing nothing at all, right? Yeah. If, you're, if your IT team is constantly swamped, they're either drastically under-resourced or doing things. Um, we need to find more ways to, we need to find more ways to, I don't know, demonstrate value monetarily. Yeah. And, you know, that probably comes back to kind of the next, you know, recommendation I was going to make is, is really understanding, you know, system criticality and dependencies and, you know, reliance on, on different um, business processes and, you know, lines of revenue, you know, that are being supported by those systems so that you can kind of quantify the value of the systems and the time spent maintaining and protecting those systems um, to, to, you know, make that sort of business justification. We're just going to make that point number three, um, quantify your value. <laughs> Quantify your value by time saved, um, m- money saved, uh, labor not lost, uh, whatever it is. Quantify it and say, "Hey, uh, look what I did." Uh, put it together in a PowerPoint presentation. If you want to get on uh, dissecting popular IT nerds and talk about it, and then we put it together into a presentation, and then you deliver that to the board. I'm happy to help do that. 
There we go. We just did something. Um, what else do we got? So we've got multi-factor authentication, uh, IT risk assessment, uh, quantifying your value. Uh, let's come up with a couple more. Um, I would say for those organizations that haven't done it yet, penetration testing um, is, is very important because like I mentioned, there's two sides of that. So you can audit your processes and controls. And you might find that, you know, maybe your user access review process, your patch management processes maybe has, has a design flaw. But those types of audits don't really substantively say that a system is secure or not. You're more likely to find out that sort of information from more of a vulnerability scanning penetration testing type process. Mm. And if uh, the organization hasn't gone through that effort, um, it's, it's you know past time to, to get that done. Okay. Penetration testing. I'm sure there's a lot of jokes that go around with penetration testing. It's great. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's there's a lot of, I mean, the, the information security world is terrible to come up with names for things. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have fun with bullet point number four. I can tell you that right now. Uh, number five, what do we got? Um, last and not least, I would say, is investing in user training. Um, you know, most people still say, or, you know, it's widely believed that, you know, the employee, the user is, is still kind of the weakest link. You can have the strongest, um, you know, security controls and security technology in place. But yep. if somebody emails something they're not supposed to to the wrong person, then that's potentially a breach. I, um, absolutely. I, I can guarantee you that there are numerous, uh, I, I know it on a daily basis. I can think of just general conversations that I've had on the phone that are blatant security breaches and giving at least Sarbanes-Oxley violations and giving away of information. I know it goes on every day. I know, I know in the sales world, I know in the vendor world, people call for favors all the time. And I know those favors are blatant uh, breaches of data. Yeah. And sharing, and sharing of, uh, probably sharing of uh, valuable company, company data. It happens and, all the time. We know it does. Yeah. And, you know, this is really, really important for your finance and accounting teams. Because, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, if you're familiar with the business email compromise, where just, you know, being able to email, you know, an invoice with, you know, a routing number changed or, you know, um, different things like that to convince those people to, you know, approve and process a fraudulent transaction. Um, you know, there's still a lot of success in that, a lot of, you know, money being stolen from companies in that manner where, you know, they don't even necessarily need to have gained access or compromised your system. It's just a matter of tricking a user into doing a transaction for them. Uh, it's a phone call. I mean, you don't need to be a sophisticated, um, uh, you know, hacker, uh, IT person to break into an organization and get valuable information. No. You really don't. Uh, you just have to be kind of like a shady, tricky individual, I guess, you know, to get on the phone and ask for passwords. And then not even so much that at this point, um, you know, the, the dark net kind of the, the criminal, um, underworld that participates in a lot of this. I don't, I think a lot of people maybe don't understand this, but there's a whole criminal marketplace around creating and selling the tools used to do this, you know, monetizing and selling the data. And really, at this point, you don't even necessarily need to really know what you're doing. If you've got some Bitcoin, you can go on there, you can buy a tool, you can hire people to do it. You know, you, 
you can kind of, the whole process has been, you know, <laughs> We've gotten so certain. bad that we've gotten to a third party. It's so bad now that we're to a third party hackers that outsource their hacking. <laughs> I mean, there really is an entire fraud as a service marketplace. There's, There's some it. dude that just comes up with an idea. Like, what was that? Uh, what was that movie with? Uh, oh gosh. Um, it's just like, I've got this great idea. We're going to hack into some place and then we're just going to hire someone else to do it. I mean, it's sad, but it really is true. I mean, you can, you can outsource pretty much every step of the process. Uh, confidentiality notices at the bottom of emails. Uh, are they worth anything or is it a complete waste? The information um, contained in this communication may be confidential or privileged. If you are not intended the recipient of this communication, any disclosure, copy, and distribution, blah, 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 um, destroy this communication immediately. I mean, there's, you know, obviously there's lots of ways that they're not enforceable, but I'm generally a, a fan of CYA if at all possible. So I would say that you're not going to get a ton of value out of having them, but there is some value in having them. Okay. Uh, so do it. Yeah. So do it. Okay. Um, uh, excellent. This has been uh, uh, very beneficial having you on the show. I really appreciate it. And I would, the, uh, the you know, honestly, that the iron spilling over uh, due to you know, someone being hacked, terrible. Uh, now, you know, we know that pacemakers have been probably successfully hacked, whether it's been done, you know, on purpose or not. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, what do you got? Any, uh, one last piece of advice for anyone listening to the show out there, um, other people, other security people listening or people to follow, uh, anyone else in your field that's very useful that, uh, people should be following or listening to. What's that, what's that piece of advice? You know, I really, I would, I would say when it comes to the cybersecurity world, it's, it's interesting in that it's very open. Um, you know, the majority of the profession is very willing to talk about, you know, battle scars and, you know, best practices and, and share that much more than you, you would see from a lot of other business units. Um, so I would say if, if this is something you're concerned about or that you deal with to, to become active in the community, um, I'm a member of uh, DFW ISC Squared, uh, which is, you know, a cybersecurity professional organization that administers the Certified Information System Security Professional, which, uh, you know, gives me an opportunity to network with a lot of other local security professionals and, you know, share information. Um, and, you know, especially on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, there's, there's more um, cybersecurity experts and great, you know, leaders out there sharing information that I could, you know, list in this. So um, get out there and, you know, get involved in the community. Um, and if you're in that position, give back. Um, because, you know, we're all in this together and, you know, that's, that's really the only way we're going to overcome this is to work together. Awesome. Scott, thank you so much. Uh, everyone out there listening to the show, I failed to ask this on numerous shows. Please, if you liked the show, if you liked the content, please go to, uh, it's iTunes podcast or Apple podcast or whatever. Please review us on the show. It definitely helps. It helps us a lot. And for anyone that wants help, uh, Penetration testing. If anyone would like to be penetrated, please. I told you we would go there. Um, uh, you can DM me on LinkedIn. I'll definitely put you in contact with um, n- numerous resources that can help that. Uh, definitely could put you in contact with, with Scott, especially if you need, you know, SOC 1, 2, uh, any, anything like that. Uh, so please reach out. And the, the show is full of re- resources that we are giving away completely for free. Happy to connect people. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. Have a great, uh, great rest of your day. Thanks for having me. You too. <laughs>